we wound up just hanging out. And I just did like local stuff. I went to funerals. Like he told me I did stuff that he's never seen somebody do that just came to travel to Madagascar. So we had to do some really neat cultural stuff. And it was cockfights like once or twice a week. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. What are you pointing to? Nothing. I was just saying go up and skip the head. Still waiting. Go for it. Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. So this is our second one in two days. Or should I say my second one in two days? I was there in spirit last night. Yeah, there was a shrimp incident. Yeah, did you tell them? I was um, not explicitly. I just said she just told me that she had bad shrimp. And that was all I got. And I don't know that what was that explicit. means. What do you mean you don't know what that means? I had bad shrimp. Okay. I guess it's a thing. I didn't know. You can have bad anything. What are you talking about? What do you mean? You can have bad of any food. What do you mean? That's <laughs> yeah, but well, you ate it like 30 minutes before you. And that's when stuff starts to make you feel I bad. I don't think so. I've been feeling bad as soon as I finished eating my plate. but. Well, either way, you weren't here. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> great intro. Thank you. com. we have some animals available. ForCityPythons, we also have some shirts available. And uh, what did you think of, I talked about it a second last night, but we went to Owen's place. What did you think about it? Seeing like all those large pythons for the first time that you haven't seen before. I haven't seen a lot of like, like Timor pythons. I don't think I've seen those in person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. You're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what half of it is. So. Wow. You're acting like you're surprised. Um, yeah. I don't really know what half of it is. So, like, yeah, it was cool, but it's not like it was, you know, if you don't know what it is before, I was excited to see the white lips. You know, I always love that. And I loved telling Owen how he doesn't have space for the amount of babies he's going to have. That was fun. Yeah, what you did was tell Owen that. He's going to need more racks because you counted up every single female in the place and then everyone that's breeding, supposedly, and then you decided that how many babies was he going to have? Potentially, Owen could have 409 babies this season, and I think he has, like, <laughs> 60 open tubs. Or like... No, it wasn't even close to that. You think he said he's had, like, 200. And plus, you're you're he's assuming too, you're assuming that that tough. everything's gonna breed. It's gonna be. 100%. I said potentially. Yeah. But you gotta be prepared. But who does that when you go over someone's place? Uh, was that bitchy of me? I don't know. I'm sorry, Owen. I just wanted to open his eyes. Wow. It. It's, okay. Now it sounds. Now bitchy. it sounds bitchy. Okay. I just was really confused how he was gonna make it all work. There you go. I was really was confused and concerned. You have troubles trusting people's uh, intuition. Snake guys, no. They're I was snakes. Told, and they also... But I was just being positive. They always figure it out. for the best that his olive will go and our jungles will go and his teamworks will go and all his corns and all his kings. I was being 
hopeful and positive because Owen is a great breeder. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really made up for it that first half. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we I mean cord snakes we pretty much breed, you know, whatever we want to, and I'm glad maybe you may be a little bit jaded on that that end of the the hopefulness of getting a hundred percent. But I mean, I mean, I struck out with Hognose and Louisiana Pines last year too. So I guess I'm not batting a thousand, but we're doing that. What? <laughs> Justin called me out <laughs> and he called me Davis. That's weird. <laughs> Davis so, show up for this show, but not ours. He explained. I was shrimp. 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 I, know, I was shrimp. <laughs> Porcy, where were we? Porcy, Pat, on the cow. We're not there, but okay. <laughs> well, we thank our Patreon supporters for allowing us to just ramble randomly every single week. And this week we have on Greg Strait. And Greg is a wildlife technician. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, herping, kind of how he got into reptiles. And it seems like he's done a lot of, a lot of traveling and herping around the world. So, Greg, can you give us a little like overview of who you are and kind of what you're interested in? Um, I'm interested in herbs in general, um, in captivity and in the wild. Uh, I'm probably interested more in the wild than I am <clears throat> even in captivity. Uh, I'm doing as long as I can remember, um, really. Um, I don't know. You want to start from like, you know, day one or? <laughs> well, did you have kind of a preference towards reptiles from the beginning or were you into kind of all kinds of animals? Um, all creepy crawlies really, but hardcore with frogs. That's my earliest memories is really being into frogs. Um, I mean, as soon as I could walk, I really just gravitated towards them. And then that really expanded to, you know, all amphibian type habitats um, and just reptiles and amphibians in general. But really I think frogs were the, were the big, uh, big pull at first. Yeah. And did you grow up in upstate New York? Yep, I grew up in upstate New York, and I spent uh, my summers in the Adirondacks, you know, running around barefoot, catching frogs, spotted salamanders, um, all that stuff all the time. So that really was huge for me to have that space um, and just collect stuff and explore and kind of uh, get a feel for some of the natural history of these animals just kind of on my own, just anecdotally, just by going through the motions and looking and looking and looking and seeing a lot of these patterns and things. It was pretty cool. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, but it's really since as long as I can remember, I have no knowledge of not being into reptiles and amphibians, honestly. It's, it's weird. And when did you start keeping them in captivity? I didn't start doing that till I was probably 19 years old, 20. Yeah, I was, so I didn't really, I mean, I kept some native stuff, bringing the house for a while, killed a lot of stuff, dried out a lot of toads, <laughs> overheated stuff. You know, I learned, you know. Um, you put something in a, in a little aquarium on the porch and then the sun, you know, moves across. Guys, you know, it's like baking by noon. So a lot of trial and error, stuff like that. But like real husbandry and, and experimenting with stuff was probably, um, you know, 1920. And that was still real low key. But as soon as I heard about like poison dart frog work, oh man, that just took off from there. And I went like all in and did tons of research. And that it was a, in from there, it was over. And now you'll be the husband to do poison dog frog stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did you kind of move on from, uh, like, where have you herped in the U.S.? Um, I've herped uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, New York, obviously, um, Pennsylvania, 
Ohio, a lot of just the East Coast, basically, you know, the East Coast, yeah. Is there any kind of thing in particular that you like finding in the on the East Coast? Um, God, I love some of the turtles. Spotted turtles are awesome. Uh, bog turtles are really cool. Wood turtles, um, wild turtles are great. Um, go to New Jersey, the pine barrens are really cool. Checking out some of the stuff right, you know, right below me. Pine snakes are really neat down there. Hognose are always fun to find. Just about anything. I mean, I still love finding a little um, ringneck or red belly snake. I mean, I find them of a handful every year, but it never, never gets old. Um, and and I wanna, something that, that stands out to me is like bog turtles. So you heard bog turtles and kind of is that, uh, what kind of habitat are they in? They live in fens. Calcareous fence, uh, and that's been more associated with like projects, but work and things like that. But uh, yeah, just epic animal. I mean, the habitat is so cool and unique, and then you just mix that with like a, such a unique turtle, and it's just I love it's over. Um, and for me, a lot of it isn't just the animal. Like I always appreciate the habitats they're from. So sometimes when they come from like a really picturesque kind of, at least to me, kind of really neat habitat, I get really excited about that too. So it's like a combination of the species and like the habitat they live in, you know. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> People in the chat are talking about how nice your house is. I'm a slob and a creep, so. If you look closer, there's a lot of dead animals. In there. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, everywhere to the. Oh, I only saw the one by the TV. <laughs> I didn't even notice Yeah, it was just full of them. Lovely room of death. I mean, Actually, when I'm herping and I come across DORs, I always pickle them. Like, I love doing that. It's a great way to, like, utilize the DOR. And um, I have cabinets full of uh, just wet specimens. And, you know, because sometimes the snakes, you find them, and, you, you know, you walk up to it, you think it's still alive. I mean, it looks perfect. You, you know, how it even died. I mean, just sometimes the tires don't blow out the snake, and they just look great. And, you know, if you catch it, it hasn't been out in the sun, or sometimes it's just been hit, you know, the last couple hours. And it's not, you know, it's not rotting or anything. So how do you go about preserving those? Just put it right in ethyl alcohol. And if there's a thicker specimen, you can actually inject it. But it's, it's nothing too fancy, really. Um, there's some processes uh, that I go through, like deaphidization, which is more elaborate. It goes lots of steps. Can I actually show you? Let's look at the... Can you see that? It's like when you completely... Dumb question. Why is it... the proteins from a specimen and you stain the... The skeleton with a dye. So that's really fun. But why purple? There. There's a lot of glare there. That's a uh, that's a rat snake, man. One of your favorites, Eastern rat. Yeah, that's crazy. So if if you guys obviously some people on the download can't see, but it's like obviously it looks like it has like translucent skin. You can yeah. see all the bones and everything in it. So so how exactly is that done? Um you put it through a couple of different chemical baths that basically strip all the proteins um, away from the, the flesh and you're just left with collagen. And, uh, and other than that, um, you use a special stain that only adheres to calcium. That's it. So it only stains calcium and you soak it in that. And that's, that's a real short version of it, but that's basically what's happening here. You're leaching uh, all the proteins out of the, out of the, out of the flesh and leaving basically just calcium behind. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry, calcium and, and collagen. And then you, 
and uh, that dye goes, then it obviously attracted to the calcium in the bone. Yeah, yeah, reaction yep, here's to that. And that's it. So it doesn't, you know, you'd think, you know, use like a when you put it in there originally, it's like this complete pink dye. It looks like it's in Kool-Aid, right? And you're like, oh man, it's gonna make the whole thing completely stained, but it doesn't. It uh, it only so it chemically bonds to the to the calcium. And uh, yeah, and you actually store it in glycerin. This is glycerin. And glycerin has the same like light reflect refraction as collagen. So it makes it even look clear because it's just completely like in the same light reflection just goes right through it. That's awesome. So when you're herping, are you looking equally for alive animals and DOR animals? Yes, yes, of course. I want to find them alive, but when I find something that's, you know, dead in good shape, it's neat to, you know, preserve it and collect stuff that way too. It's kind of cool. Yep. So how far into your herping years did you start wanting to do this with EOR animals? Um, oh god, it's been now for doing that for a decade or so, I think, yeah. Yep. And kind of what made you I mean, make it in a in a way, you know, your life through your work and everything like that. Like what made you make that leap? Actually I used to be a chef and I was working in a kitchen. And I was volunteering and helping out this other girl who was getting her master's working with Blaney's turtles. I was volunteering with her, going on the field, doing a little field work, trapping, things like that. And <laughs> one day I showed up to work late to my actual job with my waiters still on. I drove there to work, taking my waiters off in the parking lot. And I was like, man, like, I'm doing this other thing for free, coming to the job that I'm supposed to be working, coming there late. And I'm like, I need to reveal <laughs> Way to go back to school, you know, and that was that's when it hit me. It took me a little minute to finally do it, but uh, that was the day I, I realized that like I need to, you know, change what I'm doing. Um, because I wasn't as passionate about being a chef, and you have to be really passionate about what you're doing to survive, you know, and to compete in your field. So, yeah, yeah, that's a rough industry, you know, especially just with the, the culture around it and the hours that you work and everything. Oh, yeah, like I realized there was so many like these grown men that were like hardworking, but maybe they weren't as passionate. So they wind up like busting their ass and like, you know, not making a ton of money and working way too hard for the money they're making. You get some other guy working some other blue collar job waking three times as much and not nearly as much stress. So I'm like, you know, I realize if you're not completely crazy about being a chef, you're never going to compete, you know, with that, those guys. So. Yeah. And I guess uh, to an extent, I mean, that goes for most things. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I went into a field that like, I'm crazy about, so, you know, I could be competitive, yeah. So backing up a little bit, a new question. I know you talk about the pine barrens all the time, and you do. What makes it so special? I know you say, like, you know, there's corn, but like, what is it about, I guess, the habitat or the ecosystem of the pine barrens that makes it such a special place? Um, it has to do with the, uh, the, um, not just the ecology, but it's just the old, you know, geography of the whole place, just having that, uh, all that sandy soil and the plants that live in that. It's really cool. Um, I mean, like, uh, like scarlet snakes, I forget, like, they're, they're not found for how, how far south. And, you know, there's a huge gap. There's just so many unique animals in, the, in that area. It's really cool that it sustains them. Yeah. We have a similar yeah. pine barrens upstate New York, too. It's pretty nice. You me? Yeah, if you as well it's just like a uh, a crossroads of a lot of obviously it's the northernmost place you can find a corn snake i mean but but you can also find pine but snakes why is you can it also... the northernmost place you can find what is it that makes it 
Well, like you said, it is. Just because of the soil? Yeah, things like that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you want a good answer. I don't, I don't have a very <laughs> I long I thought this was a new question, but maybe uh, not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't know the exact ins and outs and why, but I mean, that's that's a huge part, actually, those loose sandy soils for things to be able to bury down in. And and, uh, and it's also um, elevation and, and, and temperature things, you know. There's a lot of things around the fringe of the range. Like we have in New York, uh, tiger salamanders. There's like Long Island is just at that fringe of that range because it's just, you know, temperatures and things like that. Yeah, all I know is that, I mean, it's a weird crossroads where a lot of species that I want to find are. I mean, why exactly they're there? I mean, I don't know. Okay. But sorry, I don't have a better answer. Uh, it just says, Wikipedia says that area is sandy, acidic, nutrient-poor soil. <laughs> it's true. Interesting. I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. But uh, as far as... What's that? You need an arborist. Oh, yes. I think it all comes down to that soil. I mean, that's why a lot of these species are able to, I mean, look at the, uh, the, the scarlet snakes. I mean, they're really, you know, cryptic little snakes and they, they hide a lot and they bury and they get what they do. And the, um, you know, a lot of the snakes can, can do really well, I think, uh, finding food in those soils like the hog nose. And I think it's a lot to do with that, honestly. So I've seen a bunch of pictures, obviously. Um, we have your Flickr and we're gonna post some, some pictures in the chat, but um, like, Mainly, I see um, just on, in North America. I mean, you found like timber rattlers. I mean, is that something that you come across often? Yeah, I mean, not just I don't just stumble across them. I mean, it's going to specific spots. You know, these uh, near dens and things like that. Yeah, they're always fun to see. I mean, never gets old. They're just absolutely gorgeous. Different colored bait and stuff. Are there like secret stuff out there that releases the special spots to go? How do you know these special spots? <laughs> <laughs> um, some stuff is through work I've done and other things. I mean, you can find out um, if you go to enough spots and you know enough about the natural history of the animals, you can pull up maps and you can, you know, you can do that stuff. It's, uh, um, and in rattlesnakes, it is a little bit simpler than others, I yeah. guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know when we had Jeff Glim on, Glim, Glim. He lives in San Francisco, and he no, was San Diego. San Diego. I'm doing real good. And he was talking about herping out there has kind of almost become not a problem, but it's been there's a lot of people just trying. I don't know how to say this. Who aren't actually into it? Who are out there to just like dick around and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, California I feel like has a different reputation. But do you feel like on the East Coast at all any of that's happening? No, not at all. It's still pretty, herping is pretty low key on the East Coast. It's, it's been that way. It's because of the diversity. We have much lower herp diversity in the, in the Northeast than, we, than there is in the South. And the season is a lot shorter and things like that. Um, I mean, in our own right, there's some incredible things like wood turtles and stuff like that that we have, you know, but um, that you can herp and find uh, in the timbers, things like that. But yeah, it doesn't, um, we don't get the same, we don't have the same culture. Yeah, that herping does in other parts of the country, like the southeast and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And then, unfortunately, yeah, we just don't have the amount of snakes somewhere else, somewhere to, down south to keep people interested. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, how many you just see on the roads down south? I mean, like, it's so rare to just like cruise up a snake on a road here. It's it's funny. It's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> 
so I mean, obviously you traveled a bunch. Yeah. So what was the, the first place you went and kind of herped abroad? First place I went to was Peru with um, Mark Pepper, um, understory. Um, and he, uh, he's a really cool guy. He actually has done a lot for amphibian conservation um, and um, offering captive bred animals, captive bred poison dart frogs to kind of combat a lot of the smuggling issues. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he was um, taking people out for a little while and uh, show them around Peru. So I, I took that opportunity and, and uh, it was incredible. And he was really just focused on um, that are batted frogs. So I didn't do any night herping, which is normally what everybody does, but these are, uh, you know, diurnal frogs. We spent all our time doing that, but it was, it was incredible. Yeah. So Just, did you get to see, uh, other animals besides frogs on your way though? God, I mean, yeah, I, I did see all kinds of, God, I don't know, I'm trying to think what I saw. Oh, monkeys. Yeah. I saw monkeys, but they were actually always kind of captive by the villagers and stuff. They had them as little pets. It was kind of cool though, seeing monkeys. Um, but again, like not a lot of stuff because again, you really see everything at night in the rainforest, you know, um, and uh, just a lot of poison dart frogs. But that was awesome, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, a couple questions from the chat. Well, first, my question: What kind of camera do you use? Uh, I have a Nikon D750 and a D7000. Your pictures are amazing, by the way. Uh, and then in the chat, they're asking about this uh, terrestrial leech picture. Oh, uh, yeah, those things are gnarly. It's wild, man. What's the background on that? So, um, you know, people here used to getting ticks and stuff on them, going through the brush in the woods. I mean, but in uh, Malaysia, they have terrestrial leeches that are just hanging out on leaves, just like a tick waiting for a blood meal. And you just go against, you know, a leaf and a branch, and they just latch on. And it's, it's so funny. Um, Did you feel it immediately? No, and that's what like, like a lot of leeches, even the leeches here, you don't really feel it for a minute, and then all of a sudden, something feels like a little bit of an itch, and you're like, oh, damn. But, uh, yeah, they will you can get covered in those things. They have them in here, too. Yeah. Does it, does it hurt? Uh, no, not really. No. Those very bloody. <laughs> oh, it's sucking blood. They have like anticoagulants in them to help kind of bring the blood easily into their into their body. So that's why it looks, you know, the blood just kind of flows for a minute. Yeah. But, but back to Peru, I mean, how <laughs> how far were you out there? How long were you out there? And what was your, your first experience like? Uh, out there for a few weeks. Um, and we went to some really remote places. And that's what's neat about when you travel to do herping stuff. You know, you go where these species are located, not where the easiest place to get a meal or whatever, you know, it's, it's based around that. So even if it's a really interesting spots that um, most tourists don't go to, which is really cool. Um, I mean, we went to, you know, villages where people weren't even speaking Spanish anymore. They were little, you know, local languages. And um, I mean, just crazy stuff. Like one village we went into, before we entered their property, they wanted to go and uh, de-trigger some of these traps that they had. And these traps were basically like a shotgun with a, with a rope stretched out attached to the trigger. So if some mammal comes walking by, it's literally going to trigger, trigger it and blast their legs or whatever. And um, so we wait like, you know, an hour. They finally come back. So, okay, yeah, you guys can go. No problem. Wow. And, so, and we were 
finish the day, we're coming out of the jungle. This group from the village was going back into the jungle and they were going to help retrieve or um, help this some situation because a horse triggered one of these these trip traps and uh, blew the horse's leg off. So, and these guys, you can imagine, in the middle of the jungle are not trying to lose a horse. So, like, they really tried to find all these. So there's still, you know, there was still these these shotgun trigger <laughs> tripwire traps still, like, live out there that they missed that we could have, like, easily walked across. Just, you know, so that's what I'm saying. We were out there and it's some wild stuff. <laughs> So, I mean, did you feel safe under these people's care the whole time, or? I felt, I mean, felt safe, as safe as you could be, just completely, like, you know, um, I mean, you're out of your element. I mean, the, the level of safety in different parts of the world is different than what we're used to, I guess, so it's, I felt safe enough, um, as far as the standard of what's around me was, you know, I didn't feel particularly more unsafe than anyone else in any situation, um, but, you know, some of the roads around these mountains, it's, it's insane, man, I mean, it's, just, I don't know, like you kind of feel unsafe, yeah, but everybody's got to do it if you want to, you know, go to some of these spots. It's just like, it's like enough for like one and a half cars basically to go around each other, and it's just a sheer drop off, you know, it's, it's not in the mountains. Yeah, that's crazy. So, where did you go? Obviously, Peru, did you, uh, where'd you go from there? After that, um, I went to Panama, Costa Rica. And I just did that by myself because after doing Peru and I had one with Mark and he was very familiar with the country and my first like international trip and, um, you know, navigating Costa Rica, Panama is a lot easier. I figured I could do that just by myself. And I did a lot of research and was on forums and, and, um, just did a lot of recon on these different, uh, familial frog populations that I wanted to see and, uh, just got myself there and got around. Yeah. I saw a ton of frogs there. It's all locale frogs. So is that is your goal kind of to be able to go alone? Would you rather go alone? Yes, I would rather. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know. Why do you think that is? I guess yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough exactly, and that's why people go on these group things with a bunch of people, and you got mixed different personalities. One person wants to go here, one person wants to go there. You know, you have your autonomy to do whatever you want, um, do things for yourself, and and some of this stuff, you know, somebody may think they want to get into it, but when they get there, it's tough. I mean, it's like, for me, it's, it's fun, but it's not, it's relaxing in a, in a weird way, but it's not comfortable at all. I mean, it's really not comfortable whatsoever, but it's exciting. Um, and somebody might think they want to go on this trip, but if they're not ready to, to be that uncomfortable and sweaty and hot, and a lot of things are up in the air, it's hard to plan for a lot of things, you know, um, travel times, like just a lot of these countries just have no, the organization is not there, you know, so, yeah. So, did you, like, stay in the hotels the first time around when you were alone in Costa Rica, or? Yeah, I was just telling someone this story. I was trying to cross the border from Costa Rica to Panama. I don't speak Spanish, by the way, too, so I've done all this. Yeah, yeah, draw stuff. I assume you 100% spoke. No, not even remotely. Nope, not at all. Um, and, uh, so, so I, I, you know, got off the plane and eventually got on a bus to get that figure. It's going to get me over to Panama and, uh, next, you know, it's nighttime now and the bus just stops. People are getting off and I'm like, what is going on? And eventually I figured out, I don't know how, but I figured out that the border was closed 
and we had to stay in this hotel for the night. But I'm just like winging stuff like that. Like, okay, I guess I'm gonna get off this bus and stay here. I don't know where here is, but I guess, but like, that's the kind of stuff that's happening. Like they, they close the border at night. Like what country closes the border? Like, oh, it's nine o'clock. Can't, can't come in the country till, you know, you know, tomorrow at 6 a.m. Like, so just weird stuff like that you have to be prepared for or not prepared for, just prepared to like go with the flow, you know? But um, yeah, so I just throw my headlamp, went out in the rainforest from the little place I stayed at, and I found little caimans and a basilisk right away, and so I'm, I was happy, you know. Yeah, well, I guess you can't really go wrong in Costa Rica. I mean, you can still kind of make can't go wrong. I mean, no, no. I mean, as far as you can probably hurt most places. I mean, you get your bags. You probably die or be sawed yeah. in half. I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> Colombo, you might die. Costa Rica, you're gonna get your backpack stolen and all your shit. Like, you could have that, yeah, for sure. That's a lot of places, though. So are you, like, on a tentative schedule as far as, I mean, you have a flight home, and did you fly out of Panama, or were you trying to get back? So that that trip, I had a, a flight home ready, and I was just like, eh, I'm going to stay here a week longer. This rules. And I uh, <laughs> I just changed my flight. I didn't even tell my boss. I just I came back, rolled in a week later. And that's when I was a chef and everything, and I was just like... And uh, my buddy that was working underneath me, I knew he would just step up and, like, basically, I was going to leave that job. I knew he was going to, like, be the next, you know, head chef there. So that was cool, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> he said he was like, I figured you were, you were going to come back at all or something. It's funny. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, with this love of travel and love of everything like that, what's keeping you here in the United States? I don't know, money and... I don't know, some sort of stability and things like that. I mean, yeah, or lack of, yeah, money is just, it's it's tough to uh, to do that. You got to regroup and um, save. And then it's, I like to leave for long periods of time because when you leave, you know, for like a few weeks at a time, it gives you the ability to go with the flow and learn things while you're there. Um, and, and I really like that. Uh, to have a really strict itinerary, Herb, some of these places is tough because there's so many things come up that just throw you off course. Um, I went to Madagascar. I was like stuck in this one village for two weeks because they had really bad weather and they couldn't take this one boat. You only really reach this area by boat, and uh, yeah, they weren't they weren't letting any boats leave because the weather was so bad. I mean, it wasn't bad where I was, but there was, like you know, out in the ocean, it was really bad, and uh, and there was like a huge twister, I guess, out there. You know, want uh, boat to sink. So just stuff like that, you can't, you know, always comes up. So I give myself a lot of time, and it's hard to leave, you know, for that long for jobs and you know things like that. They don't want you to do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's typically proud of to show yeah. a week later. You know? Yeah. Or just you know leave it all for that long, and it's expensive and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, shit, that seems intense, but I mean, obviously you went on to more intense places. I mean, you mentioned Madagascar. That's real intense, yeah. So you you figured that all out by yourself or? Um, to an extent, uh, I went there to work with actually a captive frog breeding program. Um, actually, uh, Devin Edmonds set up like six, seven years ago now, seven, eight years ago now it's been um, the first captive frog breeding project in that country to work with Mantella is basically a lot of endemic species there and figuring out basically, you know, what is the code? You know, it's like anybody working up house, it's like a lot of these, you know, species, what is the little secret to crack the code to actually breed them, right? 
Um, you can keep them alive in captivity, but like breeding them is totally different. So there's all these endemic species in the country and they're losing a lot of habitat. So the idea was, you know, let's start working on, you know, cracking the code and seeing if we can breed a lot of these species in captivity and have some kind of genetic bank, right? And, um, and uh, yeah, so he set up that first, that first facility about six years ago and uh, it's done really well. And they wanted to set up a second one in the country and, and Devin knew my background and my interest in traveling and working with frogs forever. So he asked if I was interested in uh, starting, setting up the second facility. So I went out there for that. And uh, yeah, I forget exactly what the, one on a tangent here, kind of set up a backstory. Oh yeah. yeah so that was, things were somewhat <laughs> set up for you, but yeah. Was... So I had a lot of help from him to kind of just, you know, um, it, he wasn't with me most of the time, but I was able to contact him and get information on like, you know, what to expect or where to go, or, you know, basically what areas to avoid and just kind of what, what to expect and prepare for. Cause I've, I've never been to a place that is more disorganized and, um, just everything is up in the air. You cannot plan for anything in that country. It's, it's nuts. And you just built that relationship through like going on trips, like past trips, basically. Cause I know everyone wants to be like, how can I become that guy? I mean, I, I built that relationship with him just through actually, um, just captive husbandry kind of stuff. Cause he kept frogs too. And we knew each other just through the internet and, uh, just a frog community. And I met him, um, at some symposiums and things like that the first time. And we talked and, you know, I said, I got to come out to Madagascar at some point. And he was a field herper as well as a, uh, as a captive person. So, uh, yeah, so we kind of had that background and kind of knew each other just through that world. Um, no different than like, you know, hardcore snake people can get to know each other kind of, you know, from long distances and keeping stuff and yeah. So was there, I mean, people just in the chat are saying Madagascar had a plague like last year. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They get the black plague there. So it's, so I'm guessing like hygiene isn't a thing. Uh, no, I mean, I, I was looking for tomato frogs in this one place. Like they live, they're really bright red, gorgeous tomato frogs that people like. They live in this one region and they're actually just in like people's backyards and swill. I mean, I was worried about hepsi. I mean, just just sewage and garbage and stuff. Um, it's disgusting. And actually when I took photos of them, I, I didn't try to take them out of the crap. I left them in with like, you know, plastic, you know, soda cans and just waste and stuff to really show like that's where they're living that's where they hang out it's really cool um it's sad but it's, it's just kind of neat that uh this frog that you know people here and you know dad and so sought after and stuff is like a little pet is just living in garbage there and that it can survive it which is kind of cool too because a lot of frogs would be able to handle that you know a lot of that stuff yeah and people are probably keeping them so sterile here and yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah if i set up a setup for them i would definitely have just like crushed up can and some like just I don't know empty food containers and plastic just the substrate emulate the real habitat that I found in it. <laughs> so I guess it's like a, a lot of countries as far as you know they have trash lying around and the yeah. animals are attracted to the trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean for you know a field herper finding an old car in the woods and and you know a refrigerator door and stuff, it's just like you get excited, you know, it's it's um and yeah, I guess it's good habitat. I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, not always bad. I guess. And were you kind of trying to get some observations that may lend you clues on how to breed them in captivity? 
um, from stuff that I saw. Yeah. Well, did he, was there an initiative to do that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the initiative was, yeah, to take um, any kind of anecdotal stuff you have on on their, their real natural history and recreate that in captivity as much as possible. Like, you know, there's tree hole breeder frogs that specifically like to breed, you know, in tree holes. So sometimes it's just simply as, um, you know, recreating so like a little pocket they can go in with a piece of uh, like cork tube and like a little little cup inside of that, you know, working with stuff like that. And it's, so it's not always rocket science, um, but some of it is just like, you know, you scratch your head and like, why isn't this frog going? So that's with any species that people breed in captivity and why some stuff is rare because it's just not breeding for people, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And does that particular like side of the market, they still heavily, you know, have to use wild caught animals and that kind of thing? Oh, the frog side? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still a thing. Um, there's been some amazing pushes, though, uh, to have more captive breeding operations and institute in, in these countries, which is really neat. And I like the idea of the people um, can maybe profit from the animals from the actual country they come from, right, instead of somebody over here. I think that makes it more special. Uh, there's groups doing it in Ecuador, Colombia, and um, the Peruvian stuff right now. And you know, these are expensive frogs. They're very, you know, they can be, you know, four hundred dollar frogs. They're very high end stuff, but it, at least the ball's rolling, you know. And um, and that's that was not happening before. It was all just obviously imported, dumped in, and you know. And do you know if like those animals, whether in captivity or in the wild, are, you know, coming down with chytrid and that kind of thing? No, I mean it's it, the stuff. Well, some of the species that yeah, the breeding captivity now definitely are susceptible to chytrid in the wild. Um, but uh, yeah, it's another reason why. Uh, captive bred stuff helps cut out smuggling because they're beautiful, clean animals. You know, they're not scarred. You don't have to worry about parasites and chytrid and stuff. You can get this like pristine animal um, and uh, raise it to your own, you know, your own standards. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people would prefer to have, you know, captive bred animal any day over a wild caught. So automatically, and there's, and there's just the whole legal side of it too. They don't have to worry about having it. And, um, so yeah, it, it quickly pushes out, I think, a smuggled frog. It's just the quantity, you know, that you can bring in. And it ha you know, a lot of it has worked really well. I mean, as soon as some of these frogs get in people's hands, they breed readily. And now um, they're they're basically just part of the hobby that weren't before, you know, before some of these projects started. It's pretty neat. So obviously in Madagascar, I have to ask you about chameleons. Oh yeah, yeah. So have, did you come across them kind of when you were looking for frogs or are yeah. they plentiful or? Oh, they're plentiful, yeah. All different kinds. I'm not a huge um, chameleon guy, but I just, you know, appreciate them. Although I do really love Rokizia, those little, little, you know, one inch chameleons. Um, and they were on my bucket list of just being one of the herps that I just had to see before I die. And um, I was able to see a few species of them and it's just, it's absolutely mind blowing. You know, they're one of the smallest vertebrates in the world. They're up there with them. Um, and to have a fully just functional vertebrate, you know, fully mature, you know, sexual animal right there in that little package is crazy. It's, it's nuts. You know, it's yeah. like an invert, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah, like they were, I mean, you can't describe something like that to see, you know, uh, such a small animal on in its native habitat like that. It's wild. Joe's trying to find it on your Flickr right now. Oh, yeah. Let me see. Oh, yeah. And what is this 
Um, seems like a cockfight. Oh yeah, dude, that that was wild, man. Yeah, it's a straight up cockfight. Um, <laughs> that was really neat. So when I was stuck in that village for a long time, um, I wound up becoming really good friends with my guide. And so in Madagascar, you have to legally have a guide with you when you go onto their their forests. And the guides can be anywhere from somebody that's genuinely interested in the natural history of the country and to just a straight up wine up. I mean, live, like actually stumbling drunk who knows nothing about being in the woods basically. But, you know, he can get a job doing that and you legally have to have somebody with you. Um, but my guide was great. And, um, and I could, you know, I spent, I did a few trips with them, but not over the full two weeks. We, we wound up just hanging out and I just did like local stuff. <laughs> I went to like I went to funerals like he was like he told me that I did stuff that he's never seen somebody do that just came to travel to Madagascar um so I do some really neat cultural stuff and there was cockfights like once or twice a week in this little this little uh sandy area and they were they were epic that was one of the most wild things I've ever seen in my life um and and to photograph for sure but uh yeah. How do you, God, you just get such good pictures. This is crazy. So, I mean, is These it kind of the same? so fast. I mean, he's such a still. Is it the same, I mean, deal with elsewhere? Are they like betting on this? And oh, yeah. Rich, like everyone has their own chicken? Oh, yeah, they're betting and stuff. Um, but I mean, it's different in, in a third world country when these people are literally going to eat every piece of chicken that's involved in that fight. And a lot of times they don't even want to let them fight to the death. Um, they'll basically call it, you know, whoever is basically going to win, and then they'll nurse that chicken back up. In some ways, that might be, you know, less humane actually because the thing is actually like, you know, wounded and like getting beat up again. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I'm not saying I condone necessarily cockfighting in America and any of that stuff. But when you're in a place like that in a third world country, it's none of my business to put my cultural values in. The society that I live in, in a society like that. So that's that. But uh, it's an incredible experience, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd be like disrespectful, I guess, to not, you know, to say anything about it. Or, I mean, obviously, you wanted to get a piece of the culture. And I mean, that's part of it. I mean, there was, there was a kid that they killed for like stealing a piece of cattle. You not saw like, them kill a child? Not long before. He was like a teenager or something, I guess. Like, you know, like, I don't know how many months before I came to that town. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing. Like, you know, cockfighting is the least of the, you know, issues, right? Oh, okay. So yeah, definitely don't steal anything or pull anything when you're over there. There was a village that would have to walk through in this one place where they were like rock breakers. This whole little community, they survived on making gravel by hand by making gravel by fucking hand by hitting a harder rock with a softer rock literally had like like a rock like tied with some kind of twine with a, you know, like you know a stick on it and they would just smash rocks sitting on the ground smashing rocks children to the elderly all day that little town made all their money by making gravel and selling it by hand so again it's just like you know cockfighting is not you know even on anyone should be it shouldn't be on anybody's radar you know we're talking about that yeah, and so I'm sure, I mean, your your money probably went a long way as far as, like, uh, how do you kind of support the, the Native people when you're there? I mean, absolutely. I mean, that guy, I mean, that's, that's going to feed his family for a long time. 
giving that guy money. Um, you know, for sure. I mean, the guy lived in what we were if you saw his house, you would think it was a chicken, honestly. And it's just, you know, so money goes a long way for his electricity bill and have a couple lights in his house and his food. And yeah. So you feel good about that too. I mean, not only are you out there, you know, seeing the animals that, you know, you want to see, but you're also throwing somebody, you know, some few bucks that could like really use it, like really use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, this, the picture of these frog eggs are nuts. I mean, that doesn't even look real. That looks like a Microsoft, Microsoft, I can't talk, Microsoft screensaver, doesn't it? Yeah. Like. One's hanging down probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those are really neat. I would just spend evenings in that wetland, um, just watching the different species uh, mate and call and hang out. And uh, yeah, to watch some of those eggs develop over you know multiple days. And it was really neat. So was that it? Are those actually the same as far as uh, you see them as eggs and you see little tadpoles pretty much? Um, is that from the, the same, I guess, would you call them clutches as well? Oh, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think where I got. Oh, I photographed the tadpoles. Let me see. I don't know. I may be in a different country now. <laughs> no, I'm going to for part two. Oh, okay. Let me see. Stop it. Stop it. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, the more developed um, tadpoles still in in the egg mass there. Right. Yeah. You've got those are just um. God, I don't know how many days apart. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. So, I mean, are there people who were observing this? I mean, beforehand, or are you pretty like? as far as how explored is, is Madagascar amphibian-wise? Uh, I mean, not that much. Actually, as far as a lot of the um, other countries go, this book right here is incredible. This, they have one of the best, I think, herb field guides. Um, uh, or just, it's not even like a field guide. It's just a legitimate you know, um, reference of the natural history of reptiles and amphibians in Madagascar. It's surprisingly, it's probably one of the lesser um, studied countries in a lot of ways, but they have one of the best books out there as far as the pedophonic goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those places where there's, you know, species that they've only seen a couple times anyone's ever seen or had one photograph of. There's a lot of that stuff. And and that goes with, you know, any reptile amphibian. Um, a lot of times we know very little about their breeding behavior, their, you know, activities, you know, things like that. Um, so a lot of the natural history pieces are missing across the board all over the world with a lot of herbs because they're so secretive and things, yeah. So you gotta write a book? I'm sorry? Me, no. But I mean, yeah, if I sat there and watched that one species, I mean, for long enough, yeah, then a lot of that stuff isn't documented, absolutely, you know, about their, you know, courting behavior and things like that, yeah. Well, for such a small country, I mean, to have a, that herb book, which is about the size of a Bible for those yeah. who can see, uh, I think there's a lot of herbs over there and some stuff to be explored. Right, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's always so much time and money. That's the thing to, like, you know, focus on any, anything, yeah. You know, and now, obviously, you've gone into uh, Asia as well, right? Yep, went to Borneo uh, almost two years ago now, a year and a half ago or something. Yeah, so, was- I mean, that seems like a very remote place and hard to get to. So how did that come to be? Actually, I would say going to Peninsular Malaysia and Borneo was probably one of the like 
best places to go herping. It's a nice mix of, um, you know, you still get a bit of a culture shock and it's like, there's a lot of different herbs to see, um, but it's still easy, easy to navigate. Um, it's, it's easy, the national parks are gorgeous um, and they're, it's easy to get to them, but it's also like still like really wild. Um, it's not like going to Disney World, like, you know, some places you go to these, these parks and there's a lot of rules and regulations They want to hold your hand or you know, go with these groups. You could easily, I think, plan a trip um, around, uh, around Southeast Asia. And I think that's probably one of the better places I would say to visit for starting out, just herping on your own. Yeah. And it's easy to rent a car, except for, except, you know, you're driving on the other side of the road, other side of the car, that'll throw you off. But um, yeah. I went um, with this guy, Kurt. You can look him up. Uh, I spent a few days with him when I was out there. He's an incredible guy. Absolutely amazing. Um, what is let me follow with his actual stuff? Give him a shout out. Does, does he do like uh, herb tours and stuff? All yeah, the he does, yes, he does herb tours. And, um, and he'll do a full package for you. I mean, he'll pick you up at the airport and he will get you rooms and everything that you, you can imagine. Um, you know, I'd worked something out with him because I've herped a lot and traveled. And I was going to be there for a long time. So I didn't really need as much of like a full package or deal on anybody to really like set everything up for me. I just wanted to have him meet me and, you know, do a couple hardcore nights out in the field um, and find some stuff, and uh, which we did. I mean, he can put you on some animals. And he's an incredible photographer, too. Um, if that's your thing learn a lot from him so what were you guys uh targeting and what did you end up seeing um so i really wanted to see some of the venomous snakes out there that was like a big thing for me uh i wanted to see wallace's flying frog that was a huge frog um on my list that's the number one frog um i'm trying to see let me see well what is this dinosaur bug looking thing <laughs> you go to it's my albums it looks like a trilobite. <laughs> looks like a dinosaur bug. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. They, um, they actually call those trilobite um, beetles. Yeah. It's definitely an iconic invertebrate to see um, in, uh, in, um, in Borneo, Malaysia. And it just has like the most primitive little stick legs, and it just looks so helpless. Yeah. Like he just has a picture of it flopped over on its back. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, those are really cool. That's one of the things that, like, I'd see other people take photos of, and, you know, I just, like, you couldn't even imagine seeing one, and then, boom, you know, you're just poking around. And and below that, that that's Wallace's flying frog. That was, like, definitely probably the number one um, species that I wanted to find when I was there. And, uh, and that's just really neat. Like, Alfred Russell Wallace actually was the first um, person to ever find that frog um and uh i really like so it's really neat to see that you know the big webbed feet are gliding down from the trees uh, let me see and that, that white spotted cat snake that was really cool to see the boiga um mm -hmm. that was just a really neat find it wasn't necessarily on my list but i just came across it, it was like oh man um, you know Typically, I'm, I'm more um, honed in on a lot of the frogs, too, but the snakes are probably second, um, you know, for a lot of these trips. Yeah, so obviously we're, we're looking at the flying frog right now with the giant feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so iconic, that, that species. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, basically, once I found that frog, it was like, it was all like, whatever happens after that, there's cool, you know. 
Did you actually, I mean, will they actually exhibit that behavior? Like, did, were you able to see it to an extent? Um, there was one, yeah, I shook down from was way up in a tree and it definitely just comes down. Like it's, you know, um, I think they really need some space to really glide more, but I mean, it definitely, definitely do that. I mean, boom, they get their feet out and they def it definitely slows their fall. Um, and they're big I and mean, they're a really big frog to see a frog like that come down from the canopies wild. And are those kept in captivity? Or? Um, not much. I actually I've seen somebody work with them a couple times on message boards and things, but they're they're not that commonly brought in. And you're like, should it be kept in captivity because it flies, <laughs> like glides from tree to tree? Like yeah, I don't know. That's more exciting just to get food and 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 you know for mates and stuff, you know. But right, I guess like if you said for a lot of, a lot of species, it's tough. Yeah, About keeping them. And so Borneo, obviously, a lot of people. Are wondering about short-tailed pythons. Oh man, yeah, I, I wish I saw one of those. If I go back, that's actually be the number one thing I want to see there. Yeah, I love short-tailed pythons, um, but I did not see one. Uh, did you see kind of uh, kind of the habitat they wouldn't have it? I mean, yeah, potentially. I think so. There's some spots that I could have, I might have been that they could have been there, but I don't know for sure. Um, I never actually checked later to see, you know, some real tight range maps or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, if I go back, that's high on my list. That's for sure. You see a wild blood. I think the I think the blood pythons are one of the prettiest snakes in the world. Yeah, I mean, it would be amazing to to see it in the wild. And did you did you see like any of the like deforestation that you know, they talk about, especially in Borneo and stuff like that? Um, I didn't because I really spent my time um, between a lot of the parks and it didn't seem, and I, I was in the area, it was a high concentration of national parks. So I really didn't get to see a lot of that besides just, you know, rural areas where people are farming, but that's, you know, the normal stuff. I didn't see any like mass expanse of like, you know, the palm plantations and stuff you hear. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I saw something that in Costa Rica, you just go through miles of lists like bananas and things like that. Uh, and, you know, Madagascar, you see rolling hills and it looks beautiful, but you have to realize it's like, oh, yeah, that's not what it's supposed to be, you know. Um, I didn't really see a lot of that in uh, in Borneo, but I know it's there, you know, obviously for sure. Um, yeah, you've heard about, like, the, the palm plantations and, like, that they actually have a high, you know, tendency to have short-tailed pythons there. Yeah, it makes sense. You get it? Yeah, right. It's just this hot, humid, just like leaf litter with tons of rodents in any of those, you know, human disturbed places. Rodents move in and boom. I mean, you got, you know, the recipe for the, the snakes. I can't believe the numbers you hear about with the skin trade, how many pythons that they that they bring in still with that. Absolutely wild. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, the pet trade is one thing and we do import a lot of blood pythons, but Damn, it does not even touch. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have been looking at, you know, a lot of that stuff for that long, but it just seems to be that I, I don't see a ton of wild-caught blood pythons for sale. I think people maybe bringing them in are people who use them for breeding projects or stuff like that. You don't see those on king snake, really. I don't I don't really see. You see captive hatched, you know, that, I, that are, um, that they breed over there and send them over, but I haven't really seen too many adult, full-on adult blood pythons imported. I think those are done, you know, by the, you know, people who are specifically asking an importer and stuff. I don't know though, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's it's just funny the 
in comparison. I mean, it's just yeah, crazy. It's, it's completely yeah. It's like people are so unaware of the stuff that gets slaughtered just for that for that industry. And they talk about you know like all the attention is on the, the pet side of you know the hobby side, or especially like you know Burmese pythons. Obviously, there's such an issue here, but they also struggle in their native range. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really bums me out. Um, that so many of these animals are harvested without any, you know, crunching real numbers on what's a sustainable harvest. And, you know, I, I'm okay. I understand, you know, you have to compromise. I'm okay with animals being taken for different purposes, for food, for, for handbags, whatever, but it has to be sustainable. I mean, and which is crazy is these are just, there's taking by, by these numbers that are just, I don't know where they get them from. They're fabricated. They're not really crunched scientifically. Um, and that really sucks. That's, that's not cool. That's uh, mm-hmm. tough. And damn, I, I just had a question and I kind of lost it. I can't think about it. I have an off topic question. Yeah. I know you, I asked, okay. Oh, I know it's going to get into that. So sorry. Uh, Borneo, was that what first got you interested in uh, short tails kind of in captivity? Um, yeah. So actually, there was, I saw another herpers, field herpers, shot of one. And I was like, holy shit. Like it, when I, just, I, I kind of knew about it, but when I saw his photo, something struck with me. I was just like, all right. I'm gonna look into these more, and then I started to pursue them um, for something I wanted to keep in captivity. But uh, yeah, just just another field herper guy, which is another thing. There's so many amazing um, websites like Field Herpers Forum, things like that. You can find other people who are like really dedicated and willing to share knowledge about um, you know seeing these animals in the wild. Um, just like the forums and people share things about keeping things in captivity. There's the whole world of uh, um, great, great community of people that do it outside, you know, in Herp, um, that are a great resource. So I actually built a lot of my um, travel itinerary around those people and reaching out to them and messaging them and asking questions and just reading forum posts, you know, the same process you go through when you want to, you know, acquire a new animal and do the right research on keeping it, you know, and same thing to go see them in the, in the wild. So, I mean, you obviously don't keep in like uh, great numbers, do you? You're just kind of like dipping your toe into the short tail stuff, or? Yeah, I have a, I have a Borneo and a Blood. That's it right now. But I really want a Sumatran. Um, that's next. You're just gonna complete the the complex. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's the goal. And if you think about it, I mean, that's a good uh, low maintenance pet. Probably is a lot better than amphibians have. You know, being able to leave for a week or two. Yeah. Well, actually, the poison dart frogs are cool. Um, you know, when you set up a bid for them, besides feeding them, I mean, it's just hands off. You know, <laughs> these frogs are so small; they produce such little waste that it just goes into the soil, and the plants use it. That's its beauty, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. But even then, you can put in enough root flies and have, if you have a really good springtail, you know, situation going on, you can leave for a long time. Their frogs will be all right. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. So, uh, but other than that, and there's, I don't know any other captive herb you can work with besides poison dart frogs for that kind of situation works. You know, you know, there's just nothing else I don't think out there like that. But second to that, yeah, probably the blood pythons, except for when they piss. It's so much. I mean, you don't want them sitting in that, you know, in the urinate. It's, it's not good. Um, in some ways, I think I thought a lot about this. If I did leave, you know, who would need what kind of care? And yeah, you know, everybody knows they don't go to the bathroom very much, but when they do urinate, that'd be really bad for the city. Where some of the other snakes, they produce a little ways that they get away from it or something. So I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on kind of uh, obviously keeping dart frogs 
Yeah. Did you keep uh, bioactive? Obviously, it seems like you lean that way. But... That bioactive thing is so funny to me. So, you know, I was working with uh, dark frogs and keeping, you know, really elaborate vivariums for years. And then I was doing all my field work, traveling around, and I had to cut back on my collections. I wasn't home and I was, you know, taking seasonal jobs all around the country a few months at a time. And uh, so I basically cut back all my collection to basically zero frogs. And um, and then I just started putting all my focus on traveling and my money into that instead of buying, you know, herbs and uh, gear. And then I come back <laughs> and I'm poking around again, looking into the, you know, the hobby. And I start seeing like, what is this bioactive crap? What is this like terminology? That term was even used before. And and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Something just weren't adding up. And, it, you know, I'm just like seeing little things here and there. I'm like, what are people now putting snakes in these bioactive setups? And I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't get it. I think it's, it doesn't work for a lot of these animals. I think people want to use them for it. It just really doesn't. I don't get it. Um, and I see like, you know, isopods were huge. I know like for a while, like I remember when Darfra people first started like getting an isopod, some had, you know, there were real small ones basically frogs could eat them. But now people want them to, I guess, for you know, cleanup crews for their setups. I, I just don't see how it's possible. Um, and you need to step to be so large. Well, yeah, anything other than for a dart frog, I don't know. It's... Yeah, and when I first saw it, I was just like, this has got to be some shit like Zoom it, like some marketing thing. Like, I, I <laughs> it has to be some like marketing thing. It's not real. But it's like people, it's not. It's really just like a certain part of the community, I guess, that is into it. Um, and uh, I just don't think it's possible. And the people I've heard, you know, argue for it, they're saying you still have to intervene somewhat and you're taking this out and that out. I don't know. I think it's just a good way to like miss things and slip up and have a house to grow bacteria and, you know. Um, so. But from the, from the dark frog perspective, I mean, you set them up pretty much like someone would set up bioactive. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're good to go. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, harmony in a situation that you can get. And there's little geckos you could do it with. There are some things. Um, actually, those Perkesia chameleons, you can do it with them. Um, people set up big tanks for them. It's just, I don't know when people decided to move it into things that are size of like corn snakes or bigger. I don't know, understand how that works. I don't think it does actually. So, so are you a, a keeper as far as bloods go? Are you a newspaper guy here? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see how you can do anything else, honestly, you know? Or just spend a lot of money on substrate, right? <laughs> yeah. But you got you got all the cocoa, right? So you'd be good to go. You got all that cocoa fiber. You got a, in a warehouse. Yeah, that's what I mean. I use it just because that's sure. what we got at this point. And it's just, it's just if I have one snake go to the bathroom, I don't need it to be a disaster. You know, it can absorb. Sure. So that I can it up and uh it makes it just a little bit easier on me and just allows them to burrow so but if you're messing with something like a blood python and it's not really gonna burrow it's just gonna go into its hide it's like kind of chunked or the is that what it is the kind of the pieces yeah like we do chips and the like the the, the core the the, core. Yeah. the kind of like dirt soil yeah. type yeah i really yeah. I both um but i really like the uh i just started using the um the stuff that's more like chips. Um, actually, I have my doom rolls in that, and I like that stuff a lot. Um, and I used to, I used to use the other stuff for frogs constantly. But I still use the pixie frogs, the, the powdery stuff. Yeah, uh, for me it's easy. And in the north, in the northeast, obviously the 
the humidity situation, especially right now, is yep. pretty rough. I'm sure you feel that with your short tails. Yep. Yep. And you can adjust that. It seems to be with the with the chunk stuff. Um, you know, absorb some water, but it also will evaporate in time. So you know, it's not gonna be like waterlogged. You know, you hold some humidity and then it will go away. At least with you know, where at mine. Mm -hmm. So as far as um, keeping, obviously, you said you have a Madagascar ground boa. Yep. Yep. Or I think actually, geez, what is the common name? For, I think the true ground boa. Numerals, it's like it's common name issue, but like because there's two, they're very similar. Like the common name for the true brown boa is different. It's a different species, I think, but I don't know. But yeah, I got the numerals though. Okay. So because and those are also from Madagascar. Correct? Yes. Yes. Yep. I really want the um, Sanzinia though. Those are awesome, but those are just so rare. Man, that snake. Oh, oh yeah, you saw one. Yes, I saw a lot of them actually. I saw little red, you know, hatchling juveniles up to massive adults, huge, huge snakes. Um, and that's, of all the snakes I've ever seen all over the world, that one is probably the one that like really stuck with me. Just the colors, it's uh, disposition, just everything. It was a super cool animal. And uh, I remember coming back and looking up and see if they were in the hobby. And I was like, well, they are. But it's really the, uh, the one that's really around more is the one that's more like tan colored and yellow. and um and the greens are just really hard to find you know they're like what are they, like a thousand bucks just 800 bucks a piece i think seven to a thousand yeah yeah i think at least i think that's uh the mandarin phase is the yellow one yeah. and then yeah. the green one i don't they call it maybe they just call it green i don't know yeah. green phase. like those are just hard to find even if you had them i mean you can have the money all day for them you just can't find them because nobody really breeds them so just trying to find, I don't know if it's Dan or Brandon or someone in the chat. Well, Matt Matola has. That's right. Um, People talk about him really long, though. I think he was saying how he, uh, like, he had just heard about him and he got him, like, a month or two later, like, just after he learned about him, he was able, like, that's that's lucky, that's cool. Yeah, I think uh, Bill Hughes just went on NPR and then people realized, like, oh, shit, what are these? These are awesome. And then a bunch of people got him. Yeah. And now that's probably why it's impossible for you to find any. And, and he got them at Hamburg. They were just there, which is crazy. They were just, oh, wow. They were just there at Hamburg. I was like, damn. Yeah, and I mean, that's not a um, an animal that's really imported, is it? No, no, not at all. And I don't understand why. Um, you know, Mantellas are imported still from Madagascar, little, basically their version of poison dart frog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their numbers are doing horrible. They're basically just losing a lot of habitat. It's not the frog, particularly it's the habitat, you know, that's that's being lost. And they're still imported. And, um, you know, the snake, I'm sure losing habitat too. But, you know, I saw a ton of those. I don't know why, you know, they're specifically are not imported. But, you know, all the Europlatas, the geckos are, I mean, tell us all this stuff. Um, uh, the uh, Mangaha, uh, um, what is it, uh, Lengaha metagrensis, that, that leaf-nosed snake. They're still imported, all this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know why the Tanzania is not. It's, it's really weird. Um, but uh, whatever, it's good for the snake, I guess, you know, that's good. But we'd like to have some, though, too. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that was uh, courtesy of Tom Crushfield. I think that's how we got oh, the first Tanzania. Yeah, those are the only ones that ever been brought in, right? That's That's crazy. I believe so. I don't know if they've ever been legally imported. No. I don't know. Maybe through some zoos. Um, someone would know better than me. But yeah, the zoo thing is 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 real. I got that happened with, with dart frogs. There's a couple species that are extremely common 
throughout um, the hobby. And uh, like some of the cheapest frogs now and are very prolific that were originally only, uh, you know, they were imported, only allowed to, you know, under like a certain, you know, contract or like a zoo and, and, and they were leaked out and then they're just everywhere and it got to the point where it's like, whatever, but um, yeah, they were never legally imported other than a permit through a, through a zoo. Mm -hmm. And now Madagascar, I mean, I heard is going to be shut down or they're not going to allow exports out of there. And I, I feel like it's always kind of back and forth. They've done that yeah, before. Right. You hear about that stuff all the time in different countries. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's easier said than done, but it'd be great if a lot of these countries could set up facilities to use their own natural resources with these wild animals are a natural resource and have captive breeding facilities for, you know, all these different, different herbs and, and offer captive bred animals. It would give, it would help the economy there and give people jobs. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that'd be really cool if you could, if you could export animals, you know, from these countries that are captive bred, you know, not wild caught from, from the country that they come from. But I think that's, you know, easier said than done, but to probably asking a lot of a government, you know, in that kind of situation. People's palms, yeah, and that's that's the thing. And that's why a lot of animals come in that shouldn't and all kinds of things happen because that already happens. But, yeah, and that's the issue I think people worry about. You'd have these animals as captive bred, and then you'd have other people that are paying people off and slipping in wild caught and all that, you know, sketchy stuff. But it just would be a great idea that it could, it could help the economy in a lot of these countries. And, um, you know, and have pride in their natural resources and their wildlife and use them in a way that's sustainable. But instead, I don't know, that's probably never would ever happen in a lot of instances. Or you get people coming in with money from other countries, you know, really running the show and, you know. But, yeah. Um, finally, get my question. Thank you. Uh, total off topic now. It wasn't off topic when I thought about it. But... <laughs> Have you ever um, traveled to a place where they weren't okay with you taking pictures? Um, no. Actually, I don't take a lot of photos of people. I gotta kick myself later. Uh, so I'm just so focused on the, the wildlife, and then later I'm just like, yeah, I should have got photos of this or that person. But I did a little bit in Madagascar. Um, but I'm usually like just super respectful and just air on the side of caution. Uh, you know, I feel bad sticking the camera people's faces. Um. But yeah, nobody has really had a problem with me taking photos of them, but I haven't really done it much anyways, so. But even though, I don't know, it's like some weird tribal place. I don't know, yeah. not really want you to take it of like the plants or the trees, some weird tribe thing. Well, I think those, that, those things do happen, I think. Um, and uh, I think there's people that are very wary of a camera and I think it throws them off, they're uncomfortable with it, you know, they don't really get it. But um, like you said, it's so seldom that I, that I take out the camera and point it in like a human's direction that I haven't uh, experienced that, but I've heard stuff like that for sure from people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go. Have you had to take play or take part in kind of any rituals or anything like that? Um, no, 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 I think. And a lot of stuff I wouldn't, I know people that have done stuff that left them laying in the bottom of a canoe, like shitting their brains out puking and just like in pain and like, I'm sorry, like I'm not, I would never, like, I'm up for anything, you know, but I'm not going to do something I'm uncomfortable with because someone else, I'm going to make someone else, like, it's like, you're going to make me uncomfortable, so how come you're not, you're not considered making the guest uncomfortable kind of thing, right? It's like, who's at fault? So, yeah, I'm not, no. 
You're not gonna drag something to ward off evil spirits or anything like that. Nope. <laughs> so what were you gonna say? Um, okay, so I had a couple people in the chat think you should make a photo book. Cause your pictures are awesome. And then you would buy it. All right. Maybe they can email me, give them my email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd just be awesome to just print, have a print, you know, little book of all yeah. your hurt pictures. Yeah, you should post them up more on all over the place. But I'm just saying, like, make, you know, like a coffee table book of all his of all his pictures, I think would be awesome. The internet has definitely ruined that whole industry, I think. I, I collect a lot of books like that, but now you just go on Flickr in different places. Oh, but I want them in real life. Instagram, you know, I just looking through. It's funny. So, did you? I mean, are you just as into taking the pictures of the animals? Because I mean, your photos are crazy good. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, it's like for me, um, I just want to have that when I'm back at home, you know. And it's been a couple of years, and I haven't gone out of the jungle again. And I just go through those, and it just makes me so happy. It's really, you know, I, I post them a bit, but I barely posted and shared half of these photos just because I just really wanted for myself to just like. Immediately, just my endorphins start going off when I start flipping through my old photos. Um, so just memories and just, yeah. So it's like a combination of I want to see the animal, but also getting a nice shot. And um, but yeah, and it can be tough. It's like you see the photo and then it looks great, but you don't realize, man, behind that camera is just like you get bit by mosquitoes, squatting, <laughs> and your ass is like getting wet in the water. And like it's just, it's, it's, you're cramped up trying to pose and it's like it's dark. You have trying to, illuminate everything so you can see it but if everything goes off i mean it's complete black it's it's tough man. yeah but you have some pictures that look like they're in a photo booth but i mean it seems like you're just out there with the spotlight in the darker um and then yeah some of the albums i have like completely whited out background that's like a whole other technique which is really fun um that uh i was really excited to learn how to do but that's you put the the specimen on a piece of acrylic you know actually shoot it with a flash from the bottom and the top um so it's basically overexposed and it just really just uh, highlights just the animal and the morphology and stuff. And were you doing that with, with like wild herped animals? I mean, it looks yeah. like native yeah. species. So yeah, you can bring, I mean, you can actually just bring with you, um, like, uh, a tripod you can attach a piece of acrylic to it, or I use like a plastic tub, like a, you know, like a Tupperware thing, sweater box. And I just put the flash in that and I lay the, the, uh, piece of acrylic right on top, like a table, and then you put your animal right on top of that. I mean, I put, you know, good-sized massasagas on things like that. It's, uh, it's perfect. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, handling, as far as handling techniques with you taking pictures of rattlesnakes and stuff like that, and what are your considerations, like, going into the field for stuff like that? Uh, I mean, for me personally, one of them is, you know, I have to be really careful because I've just, I don't have a natural, um, natural sense to be afraid of snakes. I just am not. I'm just so fascinated with them that I have to really, you know, remind myself that, you know, it's about healthy respect to the animal. Like, you know, just respect the rattlesnake and you'll be all right. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not afraid of them. So I have to remember to uh, definitely like be aware that, you know, they're no joke. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I have any real like tips or tricks or techniques. It's, uh, you know, everybody different ways of handling them but, uh, or you know what they do when they encounter them but um you know yeah. <laughs> for me it's just you know, really, like 
don't get too excited, you know, because I just I'm not afraid. I'm just so excited and I love those animals that I have to make sure, you know, I really keep my distance and I have that strike range, really, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. I got totally distracted by the dog in the background during that. My dog, my dog. Oh, it's a cat back there. No. I was gonna say, I think it's uh, a cat. <laughs> Must be those bad shrimp for messing with it. <laughs> I just saw the head, but now I just saw the cat licking its legs, so now it makes sense. Wow. Shut up. Um, have you ever thought about herping in Papua New Guinea? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that whole area would, would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, go I ahead. On my list, I really would like to go to Colombia or Ecuador. Um, you know, it's tough. You know, you, you've been somewhere, it was amazing. So, you, you know what to expect. You want to go back there. But it's also really neat to go to new places and super exciting to experience new things. So it's always when I'm turning around in my head, like, do you want to go, you know, someplace new or, you know, revisit someplace and do it again differently from everything I've learned. Um, but yeah, Columbia can be sketchy. I mean, that, that's tough with the FARC and all that stuff. And that's kind of like, was, you know, go back to that issue and people going to Columbia. Um, but yeah. I mean, is that part of the fun is finding somewhere hard to get to? Oh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I like, I think, you know, the last place that I'd go back to that I've already been to is probably Costa Rica and Panama. It's just not like a culture shock. It's not as like wild, you know? So, I mean, it's beautiful. There's amazing species there, but just the overall experience is much of a culture shock, you know, as going to, you know, Southeast Asia or uh, something like Madagascar, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> So where is besides, I mean, Colombia, I mean, are there places that uh, just other totally different cultures that you haven't seen yet as far as, you know, especially in Asia and stuff like that, or like Africa or different places in Africa? Interesting. Stuff that I'd want to see, like culturally and things? Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I'm not really super in tune with the cultural thing. Like, I really appreciate it when I get there. It's kind of like a bonus. Um but it's all just about what species I want to see. It all revolves around the rainforest, basically. I mean, that's where I'm going to stay. I mean, if I had all the time in the world, sure. But um, with limited time and resources, um, I don't see myself going outside of, you know, that rainforest zone, you know, right the equator anytime soon. So that, that really would be it. I don't know about going to Africa, honestly. Um, probably not. You seem to have no interest in mammals or large <laughs> mammals. <laughs> no. No, no, no megafauna, no, none of that shit. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, you come across it. Like they're all so when you go to these places and you go for a long time and like you have like a, a certain target, everything else like you can't plan for, you know. And it's just it's all bonus and it's all exciting. That's what I love about it. You know, I, I do love all that stuff and it's incredible seeing mammals and um, like proboscis monkeys. I mean, that was super cool seeing them and these uh, silver. There's some kind of silver something monkey and the and the macaques, you know, in Southeast Asia. I mean, amazing experiences. Um, it's not why I went there, you know, but can't never forget it. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big big megafauna guy, you know. So I don't oh, care. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I mean, I guess it's you're gonna see them anyway. So I mean, you're gonna see a lot of big you're not you're not gonna stumble across like a gorilla though or something yeah. like you have to he's actually go out gonna... that was crazy in uh in borneo one of the parks has a lot of uh i guess they bring 
orangutans had been displaced or had some issues and things because of all the deforestation, they bring kind of this like it's a preserve but without like actual like walls and gates but because they're taken care of and fed or something they kind of stay within the borders of this facility um at least without in the grounds from what i understand and when you get there there's a huge billboard like size sign below to the ground it's just big photos of like real graphic shots of people that have been torn up by orangutans and it's just like do not get too close to these animals but it's awesome. Like that would not happen, you know, in America, right? It would like you'd be. It would never let you get like that's they the put a fence around it immediately. Like, if you go near it, you this is what's gonna happen. But you can go near it if you want to. <laughs> you can imagine that, like here, like it's insane. Um, and that's the stuff I love. Like just going and just it's just refreshing, kind of being in those those situations. And it's just it's it's freedom, scary, scary freedom. Yeah, exactly, scary freedom. Yep. If I was president, that that's what I'd run on. Scary freedom. <laughs> Do whatever you want, but you may suffer the consequences. Make America scary again. That'd be uh... <laughs> America is scary. <laughs> um, but I had no follow-up to that. I said sorry. Did you did you end up seeing an orangutan though? Um no, no. Actually, I, yeah, I did, but it was in like some type of um kind of zoo thing, so I won't even yeah, I mean. I didn't want to go to that, but you know, other person. Yeah, what are Um, no, they're nice. I mean, they're really nice facilities. Yeah, they're, they're legit. Um, you know, I'm sure. Uh, you know, they get a lot of. You know, it's, it's not like a place that's going to have a, a shabby, you know, take care of, you know, facility. Um, yeah, there was a lot of resources there for that. There's a lot of attention and help with the ragtags. I think internationally, you know, um, so. I'm sure a lot of other animals benefited probably at that facility based on the orangutans, honestly. You know, I think they probably get all the money and support uh, and attention, which, you know, it's awesome. They're incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if you save the habitat for the orangutans, you're also helping sure. you know, yeah. everything around there. Sure. Even though no one gives a shit, I'm sure, about all the frogs. Or you know, all the venomous snakes and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the chat, uh, Ryan asked, do you have a hit list? in the u.s of uh, places that you'd like to hurt oh uh, so the only place <clears throat> that i haven't even like traveled to in general is like hardcore southwest like new mexico arizona um like real deserts i actually spent a while in oklahoma and that was the closest i got to um like the southwest and things like that but uh yeah i'd love to to explore her the southwest um that'd be really neat yeah i guess that's that's its old its own thing as far as West Texas and then yeah. you know, Arizona and New Mexico and Southern California. That's like, that's a lot of trips just alone. Yeah. I mean, just like, just in that general region of the Southwest, I would love to just be in one of those spots and uh, just experience that ecosystem. And for me, a lot of it is even if I spend, you know, the whole trip barely even seeing um, a herb, but just being in, a unique habitat like that that's different is just so fascinating and everything that makes it up the climate and the different plants and just the, the whole thing is really cool to me so yeah i really love that that's why even just going out of the new jersey pine barrens is so cool you know you don't go very far and have such a extreme kind of like habitat change it's really unique you know yeah i think i need to go this year i don't know if you're coming but uh we'll I, need that. I told you I, if I, I need to find a course. I don't know why today. you're trying to find, take me with you. You know that's not going to be fun for either of us. No, I know. I just didn't <laughs> want to leave you out, but 
Nah, that I am perfectly yourself. happy to be left out of that. Uh, pine, big old pine snake. They're gorgeous. That's yeah, amazing. yeah, I'd love to. I heard that they're the the corn snake. Of course, I want to see is because not only do I obviously keep a lot of corn sure. snakes, but but it's also harder to find in that particular area. Yes, kind of. So, and I heard pie steaks that were like pretty plentiful. So yeah, there's a lot of them in there. Big, big beast. I have a buddy who actually tracks corn snakes down there. He does telemetry with them, so he can actually walk you up on one any day. Oh, oh dude, dude, I just I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, otherwise, I don't I don't know if I have a shot. I've heard people who have gotten there for years and have found you know a couple maybe. Yep, no, so, them. But I mean, that's just I just can't wait until it's not fucking snow anymore. Is there another place in America that's similar to the Pine Barrens that has like weird soil and Yeah, there's a there's a Pine Barrens in upstate New York. Um, oh yeah, you did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that habitat, you know, there's there's Pine Barrens. Um it's just that that one, you know, isolated where it is is, is pretty unique. Um yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of species that live in those pine barrens like I mean, you used to go down to Georgia. There was longleaf pine, you know, expanses and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. You know, indigos. Yeah. Pine. Eastern diamondback and all that stuff. Go for tortoises, all the cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, those those habitats really seem to be like herb hotspots for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I just want to uh, uh, appreciate the things that we have so close to us. Yes. I mean, even, uh, you know, I grew up in New York too, and you can't find much, but I mean, a six foot black rat snake is like, shit, I don't know what else he can ask for, yeah. in my opinion. I know no one else cares, but. And the huge racers, I mean, they're gorgeous too. Um, I think we have a lot of stuff. It's just that you have to spend a lot longer to find it. I think there's some really incredible stuff. Um, it's just, you have to spend a lot, lot more time looking for it than you do if you live in another state, you know, in the Southeast or something, that's it. Um, there's a lot of secretive spots, a lot of stuff, you know, people keep hush-hush, and I don't know any other world or hobby as many secrets as the herb thing. I don't care whether it's in, well, it's really just survives, survives, survive, no, surrounds, I was going to say the field herping part, but actually there's so many secrets also in the captive part, like, you know, shady stuff people are doing, or don't want people to know where their places, or, you know, just usually it's around shady animals, honestly, but, yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, uh, mine's off topic. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, obviously people overseas helped you out as far as herping spots. I mean, but I feel like people stateside would be a little bit more tentative to give away, you know, their herping spots. Yeah, I I've never heard anybody being secretive about an overseas spot, but it's always secretive, you know, usually in the states. Um, yeah. So once, I mean, you find, did you establish a lot of your, you know, hotspots, especially kind of, you know, around the locally, did you establish those all on your own? Um, a mix. Yeah, just a mix of everything, you name it. It's a mix of uh, getting to know people and then, you know, having them show you spots, just looking at maps and, you know, the, knowing the natural history of the animal and trying spots out. Uh, yeah, you know, a little bit of everything. Okay, I feel like this is going to be a dumb question, and I probably should just Google it. Okay. But can you do the same thing you do with DOR snakes with frogs? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Most yeah. of are just, you know, just, yeah, just, just flat. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you do find them, you know, in good shape. Um, actually, what I started doing before I was even collecting DORs, I was just going around at shows and like, hey, you got something that died, you got something that died on your table, all these slippers and shit, all the imported crap. You know, That's not creepy at all. <laughs> yeah, you got any dead stuff. Um, but yeah, and I'd ask them and then I'd bring it home and I would, uh, you know, just preserve it, you know. So it was, it was cool for me to have some of these species and not having to actually uh care for them but you know i I do it's it's like any of us we like them because the morphology and just the different colors and just shapes are just fascinating and these different herbs so yeah it was just cool to collect them and have them um like that but then i got rid of all that stuff basically that was all like wild caught or whatever from shows and i just replaced it with all um actual wild stuff that was dor yeah yeah do you have a frog one there uh, actually, yeah, it's like I can't even picture what I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like that's what I thought was going to be a dumb question because I can't imagine it in my mind. I take that back. I do have the only thing I did save um, from uh, the stuff that's like not wild DOR stuff is a lot of um, poison dart frogs, which are these are all captive bred animals, though. These, these are like. Uh, this is like all the vials. Picarii. <laughs> I think it's how you say that. I don't know. It's not a glare, but that's like you know, a little thumbnail. I feel like if we are gonna help you out right now. Oh, okay. that didn't do anything. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, look at that little baby. Yeah, those are tiny. Those guys eat springtails. I heard you guys were having. I was listening to it for a while early on. You were you were trying to you had some trouble with springtails or something. Oh yeah, now they're just yeah. I just had fruit flies like get into them. During oh the really? Oh, that's weird. Yeah, but I sort of put saran wrap over them, and now I just open them every once in a while. So yeah, I have like I have a whole cabinet just full of specimens. It's cool. <laughs> You have your own little museum. So the frogs yeah. aren't see-through like this. It doesn't strip away all the stuff like. Oh, you, you can do that. That's a different process. So these I just put in an ethyl alcohol just to preserve them. Um, but yeah, I could do that with the frogs. Basically anything you do with fish. Um, my girlfriend did a gorgeous fish one. Let me grab that. That's crazy. I feel like I am. Uh, I've gone through all the phasing of collecting things so far in the reptile world. Ooh, that one's pinkish. Yeah, but I haven't reached dead animals yet. Wait, <laughs> I remember I used to keep all these like literally next to my bed on my bedside table, and uh, um, people would come in. They'd be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> so you could do another photo book of just all your dead ones. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I feel like you know everyone has a book collection, and then you also have uh, like a lot of people keep whether it's preserved specimens or uh, taxidermy or stuff like that, and as well as obviously collecting animals in captivity. So, I mean, I don't know, we seem to have this need to collect yes. the animals that we like for some reason, <laughs> whether dead, alive, or otherwise. Dude, the sickness, I call it the sickness, man. Like, you know, you know what it's like, you know, you really want something, and you spend all this time, hours searching for it, and you get like, you lose your damn mind, you know, and you spend more money than you probably should, you keep secrets from your significant other about what you're spending or what you got, or oh man, it's like, 
So it's classic. Everybody's been through it, man. It's, uh, I mean, even right now, like I got, I dove right back into um, the hobby with, you know, frogs and snakes again after taking a break. And I was just going to put my toe in the water. And it was just all hell broke loose, man. I mean, no self-control. He's zero self-control. And uh, like, I feel it. Like, I feel like actually like not in my, you know, feel wild, out of control. And uh, I can't help myself. And, you know, I, I wonder, like, if I can go back so many months, would I have gotten way less and save that money for a plane ticket to go see these animals in the wild? I don't know. Um, probably. And just slowly acquired uh, my animals much slower and been able to go back to Peru or something, but you know, whatever. Um, it's tough. You, you really just lose all self-control and, and you talk to any, any hobbyist, everybody has stories of just stuff that is just, it's not like any other hobby or person, right? Just the weird stuff that you do, you drain your bank account, you go into debt over this stuff and you can't relate to it. Yeah. Like something that you do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense to anyone outside of ourselves, basically. No, no. And uh, I just bit on a Megalodon tooth the other night. Y'all, don't ago, get, man. please. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Classic. Joe doesn't Dante, even man. need someone to talk to him about it for him to get obsessed. And he like he's not just a little bit. He mm -hmm. gets like his whole life becomes about something. It's the sickness. I know. So, like, it's absolutely sick. Right now we always like watch a show to bed, right? And it's like usually I choose. Lately he's been choosing and fucking shark after shark after shark, random ass YouTube video. Just yep. like I'm just like, all of a sudden, and then I come home, and he's bidding on eBay on random ass yep. shark. Yeah. And he was like, "Just wait, just wait. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. You just don't understand." I'm like, "No, I don't, because this is not normal. You're just dropping your whole life to randomly yeah. get into." And what did you ask me? Can I go to where with you? Oh, so you didn't want to go find Megalodon teeth. Is that what we were talking? Yeah, about? you wanted me. You like. What if we went to, what, I don't even remember where you wanted me to go to go find fucking Megalodonte. Like, I just need to find better friends who will hang out I, with But me. that's yeah. the most random thing in the world. Like, why are you in the sharks? We have snakes all over our house. That's not enough for you. It's always on to something else, man. It's well, I mean, we're not like, you know, we don't have the resource that now to take in more snakes, to buy more snakes, to do more things. So I got to like, occupy... Myself we're about to have a lot of babies and all kids. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that shows some self-control that even, like, you don't have enough space for any more. Because, you know, like, how many people that still just... Oh, like, if you had the... See, don't let him fool you. Yeah, no, I'm not, not sure. I know. It's the money. Well, yeah, our space it's, it's is, the, he is will, fine. He would make it I just, work. I don't he want would, to feed... He would make it feed. work if he had the money. It just gets to a point where it's, like, your feeding, feeding bill is just crazy yeah. you know like and it just doesn't warrant me getting any more animals yeah. for the, the fact that i don't really make much money you know yep. selling cord snakes so it would just be stupid and i would be putting myself in debt like you were talking about just yep. to eat snakes that's kind yep. of silly before you go through and then by the time you know with the husbandry you have to stop you have other like things you have to do and then you just become like a zookeeper and that's not you know, you have no chance to just observe and enjoy and take in the animal. You're just literally cleaning and feeding, cleaning and feeding. And and that catches up with you quick. I mean, it's crazy how quick that can happen um, before you know it. Because it's like, well, you know, I have this and, you know, I already have some of the food in the freezer. They're already making fruit flies. And it's you can either justify 
expanding it to a few animals, but then it goes from a few to a very large amount, you know, huge a room size collection quickly. And then it's like, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, and then you gotta feed all of them. And, uh, yeah. and I like I like to know, like, as far as uh, I love when I can feed and know who has an A and know who ate and like just off of the top of my head. Right, yeah, you know? right. You know you're too big, like you can't even begin to do that, right? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Like if I have to keep records of yeah. who fed when and blah blah blah. If I can't keep it all in my head, that's probably too much because the amount of people that, you know, keep I guess it's more just with snakes that um I don't know, they they're really disconnected from the animal like that. I mean they they narrowly barely even like touch the animal and you know, there's other people that are, you know, putting a snake around the neck walking up up and down the neighborhood all the time. It, it's like that's the other end of the spectrum, but you know, amazed by the amount of people that kind of really are just like, just chucking it, feeding, closed it. I don't know what what the deal with that is, you know, because um, I, I want to have these animals as almost just like this. I want to be able to view it, you know. I just I just love just observing them and, and seeing them, and uh, I want the time to do that, you know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like it's not even that you don't. It's that you don't have the time to do that because you're actually working with the snake. Yeah. It's just so silly, but yes, exactly. It's 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 weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I flirt. You know, that sounds like such a good idea to have like ten snakes and just look at them. It's just, um, you know. When you started that sentence, I flirt. I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> I'm not sure how that sentence is gonna end. No, but having like the Amazon in the living room makes me realize that I want to see snakes sure. doing natural behaviors more often. Because like yeah. he will like actually hunt in a particular position yeah. Yeah. at certain times that they do certain things, and you're like, okay. This is uh, this is a real animal doing real animal things inside yeah. my house. Well, it seems like you know, snake world. Um, some people are so into just getting the animal as some kind of like like a the end goal is just to breed it, not even to enjoy the animal. I don't know what I don't know what enjoyment even is. They just want to get these breed these things. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, um, when I get snakes, it never once really crossed my mind like I want to breed these things. You see a lot of people find you know. They never bred a snake in their life. They get the snake and you see them on YouTube or at the show, and I'm going to breed this. This, this is my breeding pair. I mean, your breeding pair. You've never, first of all, they're only six months old. Not even you never bred a snake in your life, and you only own three or four snakes. What do you mean your breeding pair? Like, wait till you breed a snake in the first place. And um, I, I just think we should have more focus on um, just enjoying the animals for what they are, keeping them really well, and let some of the people, you know, who want to really dedicate their time to do it right, but just, it's just funny how, and everybody says that, they're not actually doing it, but it's just funny, everyone just says that they're going to breed this stuff, and it's a kind of knee-jerk reaction, instead of just being like, I like this animal, I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, and when you look, when you stick around for a little while, you realize, like, oh, yeah, those people come in, the people who just want to breed it and talk, like, they come in, and then they're gone, within two to three years when something goes wrong and it all recycles eventually. Yes, 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 yes. And it's like, because they couldn't even do it. Like, because they're not, no, they didn't really want to do that. So. Well, yeah, if you buy something just to breed it and then it doesn't breed and then you're like, I don't know, it's easy to guess, give up at that point because your only intention was to breed, so. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. And it's like the mentality of the people that, that start talking that way immediately aren't the kind of people that have the ability to the patience to actually do what it takes to, you know, 
to breed those animals in, which I know nothing about working with snakes in captivity breeding wise, you know, honestly, just from, except for the podcast and things I listen to, you know, but yeah, that's not my goal. So I don't think we said this, but we met you at the Hamburg show. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I already like, it's hard for me to go to shows sometimes and not have like a bad taste in my mouth. But for <laughs> you who's seen so many crazy, crazy different things, like do the shows still give you the same feeling before you go on all these trips or like what yeah. feeling do they give you? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, I mean, there's always, like, a really good and a really bad side of, of the show. So I just try to focus on on the good, you know? I mean, I, I yeah. It doesn't really change for me. I think um, I I saw the good and the bad right away. It was always there. You know, it wasn't, like, something that was very secretive. It's just, boom, you see it. So, And, you know, from the very beginning, it was a certain community of people that I was drawn to and involved with, you know, immediately. So... I was always kind of on that side, and then you can you see the other stuff happening, and I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, it's like it's it can be hard, especially because I mean I can imagine with amphibians and stuff. Sometimes like your only source is to go to these people that you may not want to go to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. That, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, this time around. Um. You know, after I'm, you know, starting building my collection again, I'm staying away from all wild caught stuff, um, and not even just for, you know, for moral reasons. It's really also just for, for just husbandry. You know, to have everything basically clean, somewhat clean to begin with. You know, instead of bringing all these wild animals issues and just, you know, just I don't want to worry about the same level of quarantining and you know getting things dewormed and it's just a peace of mind and having like a very clean, nice animal. So. I'm not even messing with stuff like that anymore, wild caught stuff, honestly. Mm-hmm. I have more now, stuff, you know, too, to wait for some, you know, for some captured bread and yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean you're not in any rush to uh no. get any species or anything right off the bat, but uh used to as, Yeah. Yeah, so. I still feel it. I still feel that like craziness, like but you're like, no, like control yourself. No. So you I mean you don't did you buy females as far as your short tail pythons right off the bat, or? Um, yes. Yep. Actually, I have I have got a female. Um, just basically size. I just wanted a big display animal. So usually, um, I, I like you know the larger of the species. So whatever species that I'm you know trying to buy, I'll try to get the larger sex. Um, you know, because I'm not really necessarily trying to breed them. So I'll just get one individual species that I like, and that's that. Uh, but I do have a male. Actually, I bought already a very gorgeous, large adult male from somebody in Pennsylvania, blood python. It was already an adult, um, and that was a great deal. But uh, um, I did buy a young, you know, Borneo female. Yep. So what kind of, um, as far as, like, the people that you got into, I mean, have you have you talked to short-tail people? Or are you involved in the community, or are you just hanging out? Nope, just hang out. I mean, I've listened to everybody in the community, everybody that's like, I think, any sort of name. I've listened to everything wrote, everything that I've said on a podcast, like twice. I spent a lot of time. So I've heard everything anyone's ever, you know, basically had to say about them, yeah. Yeah, and that definitely seems like a cool community as far as, um, you know, everyone's in it just because they really, really love short-tail pythons. Um, and I'm still just so disconnected from 
because I'm always drawn to those kind of people in, in the hobby, in those situations. I'm really so out of touch with the, like the true dark side of stuff. Like I know it exists and I kind of have an idea, but it's like really don't even have any real like comprehension of the people that are just into stuff just to make the money and do it. as like, is if like an inanimate object churn out money or something? I just didn't even seem possible to me. I know, I guess it happens, but yeah, I get sort of blocked lock it out honestly i just avoid it at all costs you know, they're just you know flipping you know wild caught stuff and you see it but you know you really don't understand the human that does it you know what i mean like it's just thing would really bomb me out if i got to know like the whole operation and all that so i just don't even you know go anywhere near and it's not just about the animals it sucks it's also just like pawning off animals onto people that are kind of sick and just like getting them in someone else in the customer's hands before it dies on you all that kind of stuff just bums me out you know it just just like makes the hobby not fun so i just avoid all that you know yeah because there's there's so many people who are doing it the right way and for the right reasons but it's like the the small percentage of people who and i mean people who are import and flip obviously do a lot more business than most of your just regular breeders because they have a variety of animals coming in. They have a more quantity of animals coming in. They've been more shows and like, yeah, it's, it's a small like amount of people, but yeah, it can be really depressing if you think about it. Cause you're, you want to think that you're doing, you know, society as a whole sure. good as far as captive breeding snakes and allowing yeah. there to be captive bred animals. So you hate that there's people that are kind of like not taking that same path. And maybe that's like us being, uh, elitist or something but i don't think it is you know? <laughs> it's just things at, at, a, at a, a higher standard and keeping them to your own standards nothing wrong with that you know at all it's also what helps um i think uh keep people around and really promote the hobby and keep it keep moving forward if you keep selling people you know sick animals that die and then in the meantime we're getting your own animals sick and you know all that kind of stuff it's, it's just gonna like how will never go anywhere. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like we need we need people to have good positive experiences with their animals, not yeah. you know an animal that may not do so great when they take it yeah. home. Yeah, I mean, I would God, I can't even imagine the percentages of stuff like that just dies within months. Especially amphibians, I would imagine. Or yeah, 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 it's rough. Yeah, what were you gonna say? So, are you selling your specimens that you? Dude. I probably should. I'm so bad about that stuff. There's little things I dabble in. I just never think about like organizing myself enough to sell them. Um, I just money. feel like I'm giving you like 10 different ways to make yourself a millionaire. Add up all the things I'm saying. He I know. Buddy's <laughs> like a picker, like antique picker and stuff. And he does uh, shows and, and he's taken a couple of my, my specimen bottles. Like, one time was the literally a ball python of, oh my gosh, somebody. And, uh, and just like every single person he says that comes to his little booth, like they always pick up the specimen, the West specimen. And uh, so every so often I'll give him one to sell and like they sell immediately. It's crazy. Like people love all that like curiosity stuff now. It's like very big. Um, yeah. Plus you get to decorate your home. Awesome. Yeah. Man. I mean, I got tons of skulls because I'm always in the woods. Like basically all my free time, either between I'm in the woods for work, I'm in the woods for, for you know, leisure. So I come across so much stuff. Found a dog skull. It was really cool, actually. Uh, last year, it's really funny. I was like, "Oh, wait, this is a dog!" Like you ran away, you know. Like threw me off for a second. That wasn't, you know, coyote or a fox or something. But yeah, you find really cool stuff. 
you know, all that stuff. You know? I don't know what is going on, but YouTube is hating us in these last couple of minutes. Like, it keeps cutting out. This is so yeah. great. It's been perfect for, you know, 95%. We've been having some real But all of a sudden, it's just like cutting out on us. So I missed part of that. I'm sorry. You said you found a dog. A dog oh, pet. yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of other, like, random, like, dead stuff you come across uh, yeah. the dog skull was super cool I actually put that on my wall and hang it on the wall <laughs> I'm glad you already have a girlfriend now because I feel oh, like trying to get a girlfriend <laughs> later <laughs> I feel like you've always had these things though so remember at one point when I had like just my bedroom and all my my dark frogs literally were around three of the four walls and like have a girl come over and it was just like she's like what the hell like you know you get used to it you know you know it's a little weird but you don't like you can't imagine for someone that's never been around anything like that to be cold cocked in the room just like bright lights first of all if i look like some weird like a murder scene or something and uh and just like bright lights and all these tanks and just like what the hell <laughs> experience people like where i did you know specimens next to my bed and people were like what the heck i don't know yeah, used to this stuff. But I mean, that will filter out. I mean, people that it's not going to work I out anyway. Hang. You can't <laughs> hang with dark frogs. And yeah, that's why you know, the girl now we connected because she loves all this wildlife stuff and the same. You know, so she did that one specimen of the fish. You know, so do all the same stuff. Yeah. Do Do you feel like that digs you in deeper as far as doing more specimens? Because like I don't have someone who who would be like. Yeah, let's get more snakes. Who's pumped about it? Um, she's usually pumped to break. I told you to get more snakes. Yeah, yeah, a few I times. Know. But I mean, like, as someone who's like also interested in <laughs> kind of the same thing, does yeah. she influence you in that way? Yeah, some of the stuff for sure. It's definitely cool to share. I never had that before. Um, the snake thing is funny. I think like she's like, yeah, let's do snakes, and then I don't think she ever had any clue about how much of like a psycho I would get with it. You know, like I had no clue like how wild the whole like you know, her pediculture thing could be and how deep you can get. And, uh, you know, if she likes it, but she's probably just a little like, holy shit, it was a little wild. <laughs> okay. But she's cool that she likes it. Um, and she's learning a lot, but yeah, a lot of stuff. We, um, we do a lot of mushroom hunting together. We're both really into that. So that's pretty cool. So we do a lot of like my little hobbies, my nature stuff. We do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Would awesome. you ever think about like filming your, herping international things and like doing a YouTube channel or anything like that? Uh, I have a buddy that does a lot of um, filming of different stuff. Um, like that's what he does full time. I thought about like, he's come to me and, um, and we've kind of talked about maybe just like, you know, really going someplace and just doing it. And he said, that's the real way to do it. You have to go and actually just film it and, and just then pitch it to somebody and say, Hey, like we did this. What do you think? We, you know, maybe expand on this opposed to just kind of, you know, my first thought was like, hey, contact somebody and be like, hey, if we go and do this, or you want to fund it, he's like, you just got to go and just do it and then show it to them. But uh, yeah, I thought about it, you know, I don't know. He's like a vice show, have like tattooed guy running around grabbing snakes and shit. But I definitely want to make it, you know, this, you know, thing, you know, like some of the footage they make, they darting back from the water snake and, you know, they get all extreme and they're like rolling on the ground and shit. It would be none of that, you know, like that's the problem. It's tough to have that happy medium of showing your enthusiasm for the animal and having that be contagious, 
opposed to just at the shock value kind of thing. And that's, you know, I would like to extrude like my um, enthusiasm for the animals, just let them kind of highlight themselves because they're just gorgeous and cool. Instead of just the like camera footage, you know, it's just like shaky and the guy jumping around. And... Who's that guy? Is it Austin Stevens that does this one? Oh yeah, he's a guy who like he slept with cobras. Um, oh yeah, he does a lot of silly things. But I mean, he was no different than say like Steve Irwin. I mean, they handled pretty similar. Yeah, and I you know Steve Irwin was awesome. I mean, he brought so much stuff, especially her stuff, into people's homes that would have had you know zero connection to it. So yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's hard because so many people get attention for us and then we kind of complain about how it's done we're like oh look at yeah yeah, yeah but then again like you know everyone needs to play their part and he did so much more positive and obviously yes. for conservation than i mean yeah almost anyone else i mean as far as the amount of land that he bought you know with the money yeah. that he accrued from being a crazy dude yeah i mean and like his passion was just like you can't fake that I mean, some of these other guys, you can tell they're kind of like, you know, getting into it for the camera or whatever, but like he was just, that guy was just like doing his thing, you know? So you feel like you could do that? Like you could just go out, just put like a GoPro on and just like film your travels? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This book guy's really cool that um, I've uh, had some contact with. He's on Herping Forums and uh, he's a pilot and he'll actually have the GoPro in his like, Plane. He goes to Southeast Asia all the time. That's like you know his routine, whatever they like his you know scheduled flights. And uh, he always looks tired as shit. And uh, he's like gets off the plane and just gets into the bush just like that. I mean, it's really cool. And he is like, you know, he just goes around. He's just a herper like anyone else. And um, he happens to be a pilot. And he gets to be dropped off, you know, in these countries for work all the time. And you know, so he, there's some really cool stuff out there with people. And you could probably have that's uh, Lou B, right? I think yeah, it's his yeah, YouTuber. Yeah. That's right. He's like a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Dude, he finds some crazy stuff, and uh, he seems to go to China a lot. Yeah. Really. And he's like really low key, like a humble dude, and like he has this. You know, maybe it's because I like herbs. I'm able to just like connect with him and stuff. But I don't know. I feel like maybe like he's something that could have a show without being like all like extreme and just like introduce people to these animals. Yeah, I don't know. I said I'm biased because I you know, I like this stuff to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because for us, like the stuff that other people may find boring from yeah. a video standpoint, like right. we're all into it. Yeah, he might not have the average just like person flying through like you know, his, uh, I don't know what the fuck shows are on TV, but yeah, you know. Yes, like obviously everyone else wants to see someone jump in the mouth of a crocodile, but we want to see you know what's going on with the animal in the wild and appreciate it for, you know, it's just natural setting and as well as natural behaviors. And, yep. and there's not much that gets that across without being lame in most people's eyes. Yeah, there's like the voyeurs inside of it too are just being like thinking of like yourself in his shoes and just walking up on this animal, you know, like first you see this, this little like squiggly thing, you get closer and you know, oh, what species is that? You know, it's like, you feel like you're there, you know, doing it yourself. It's very raw. It's cool. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to cap it. <laughs> cap it. Well, I wanted to ask uh, for a final question as far as herping goes, uh, target species and one place. If you could pick any place, any animal to find that you haven't found yet, what would it be? 
Ecuador right now, and that's high on my list as a, another um, rainforest part of the world to visit. Um, and uh, some of the Fondalusa frogs, you know, the waxy monkey frogs, well, the Fondalusa bicolor is that big, you know, iconic um, waxy monkey frog, but there's a lot of Fondalusa frogs. So I think there's some of those I really want to see in the wild. Um, that would be it. But I mean, I don't know. There's just so much stuff, man. Uh, it's one of the first things that comes to my mind. Um, but I want to, I don't know what you can put in the chat or up on something. I sent you a text message with the dude from, um, that I spent a couple days with Kurt in, in, um, in Malaysia and Borneo. Um, I was with him on Peninsula Malaysia, but he also does trips to Borneo, but, uh, um, his website is, uh, orientherpadventure.com. And if people want to reach out to him and see a bunch of herps in Southeast Asia, He's a man to contact. Um, incredible dude. Cool. We'll put it in the like info. In the notes, yeah. Yeah, in the notes of the thing. Yeah, we'll take care of you. Um, but otherwise, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, my email, I guess. Yeah. Facebook or. Your email is. Uh, it's Greg Hunter Straight at Gmail dot com. Greg Hunter Straight at Gmail dot com. And just Greg straight on Facebook. Yeah. Oh boy, what, what am I setting myself up for here? <laughs> oh no, people might be saying make a photo book or sell your specimen. At least make it <laughs> make an Instagram. I mean, do you have an Instagram now? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. I got an Instagram. It's yeah, dirty underscore. What Say that it? one more time. Dirty Greg with an underscore. Okay. Okay. Okay, is that fitting or yep. <laughs> it's like I, I think I saw I mean you've posted obviously a bunch of pictures from the field and stuff like that oh on Instagram yeah 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 Instagram I um I go back and forth between just just posting bullshit you know I'll just like hang out with my girlfriend and then just like I go just in just putting nice you know like her photos on and I go back and forth with just like put you know pictures of my freaking ramen noodles on and then like, really <laughs> I can't decide how I want to keep it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and there's one other thing I'd like to add is I'd like to promote more people to who are into the herpiculture side to get out and do more actual field herping um, and maybe think about um, spending less money on, on acquiring new animals to like for plane tickets to see these animals in the wild. I think a lot of people just don't know how accessible and easy it is or it's it's doable i think a lot of people just think that's oh i can't do that or you can do it if you just want to do it i mean it's there's definitely sacrifices have to be made and things but um for the amount of money some people spend on you know enclosures and snakes including myself like you can buy a plane ticket and see these freaking animals in the wild and uh i, I think it'd be really cool if if there was if that was more popular um and it was more of a happy medium between um the captive side and and seeing these animals uh, in the field, um, I think that'd be really cool. So that's one thing I'd like to promote as somebody that's kind of has a feet, a foot in both sides, um, and uh, and anybody who wants information and like trying that themselves and and kind of like where to begin, I'd love to help them out and head them in the right direction. Awesome. I think, that, 
that's a big thing I think that people need to kind of get more comfortable with you know so guys if you like outside snakes yeah go outside <laughs> and see them well I think uh we're kind of the generation now and I guess I'm somewhat part of that is that you know, we've been so successful with captive breeding and keeping and having so many reptile shows, you know, multiple times a month, multiple places. I mean, people's interest is sparked more often from an animal in a deli cup now, I think, than from an animal in the wild. So if you talk to, uh, you know, a bunch of people from, say, you know, who are 30 plus years old, for the most part, they first spark their interest by finding herps in the wild. So... And it, it's hard because it, it's really tough. You spend hours and hours and hours of not finding things, and it's like, and the conditions are tough, and it's hot and sweaty, and all that stuff, and it's itchy. And, um, it's not easy necessarily, but uh, it's super rewarding, I think. Um, and maybe that's just maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's like it would never work out the way. It's just they're totally different things. I get it, but it's not for everybody. But uh, I think it'd be great if there was more of a happy medium between the two. Um, I think it would certainly, you know, bring a new appreciation for what you're keeping at the very yeah. least, I would feel. Because, you know, every so often I do come across, you know, listening to somebody or watching a YouTube video and, like, to some people, it's like, you really sense how disconnected they are from that being, you know, like a, a, a true, like, species of something, you know, that came from the wild. It's like, and I, I don't care about collecting. Collect all the animals you want. I mean, I'll collect as many animals in the bank account will allow me. It's just... Um, just being aware that it's, it isn't a trading card. Um, it's something more than that. And I think sometimes people really do kind of see them as like collecting like little trinkets or something. And, uh, and not that they're not doing it well, it's people that, you know, collecting these things and animals, I'm top notch, but I feel like there's this weird disconnect from being like this, like real thing in the wild. You know, it's like, it's so sterile sometimes. I don't know. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Nope. But you were wow. <laughs> sorry, I messed up your outro. I wasn't doing an outro. But if anyone wants to reach out to us, obviously you are listening to this either on the downloads or on YouTube. So our YouTube is portcitypythons.com. That's not our YouTube. Uh, our YouTube <laughs> is Port City Pythons, Instagram Port City Pythons, Facebook Port City Pythons. On the downloads, our podcast is called From the Ground Up. You can find it on iTunes or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Email is theportcitypythons at gmail.com. Website is portcitypythons.com. Still have shirts available. Still have snakes available. And we're, we're working on still, the Orient Society. Yeah, I was about to say, still trying to reach out to someone at the Orient, Orient Society to try to do that uh, shirt that we're doing combination with Riley West Anderson. That's cool. You want to share it with them? Hmm? You want to share it with the Orient Society? We're trying. Well, we're, we already, we had our friend design something, and we're just, I'm trying to get it to launch with someone from the Orient Society, you know, on the podcast. Because either way, we're going to do it independently and just give the money to them. Yep. But I would like for someone to come on and do a podcast saying what they do and then sell the shirts. I just think that would be more effective, but. Yeah, I would think they would be okay with that. Reach one out, like get some PR. And... I thought so too, but I haven't. He's having a hard time connecting with someone there. I'll tell you what I like about them besides, you know, the conservation aspect, which is all awesome, but just the fact that 
a lot of um, people in combination view Herp as just kind of the enemy, um, and it's just elitism that you know, oh, you know, these are things that you know you have to have a certain degree in or have a certain background, a certain job to be able to interact with these animals, and they're always wary of all herpers, and and um, only these people in certain positions should be allowed to harass these animals in these habitats. And what's cool about them is they actually open up um, a lot of places that they manage for people to come observe these animals and embrace people's passion, interest in these animals on the landscape, opposed to seeing them as the enemy and automatically being wary of them. And we know poaching happens and there are people that do some maybe um, things that everybody agrees with when it comes to handling, but I think overall, not every field herper is, is this monster that's going out and, you know, taking animals and harassing them. Um, so I think it's really cool. It's, I think it's rare for an organization that works in conservation to embrace um, people that just want to see these animals in the wild and bring them into their, to their operation to see them. And they, because they do that in a couple of places you haven't heard and things like that. That's, that's not common. So that's, that's really cool and progressive. And uh, I support that a lot. They do that. Yeah, it's super awesome. If I ever got the opportunity to go to one of those events that they have, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you go, man. I mean, that's that's epic. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You can go all across the world, and there's amazing animals, but they're just different. There's not necessarily a cooler snake than indigo anywhere else in the freaking world. There's just a different snake. I mean, indigo is as cool as anything else you can find across the world. So I hope to get down there myself, actually, uh, with them, or or just in general, we can have a Georgia and stuff down there yeah for sure we messed up your outro again <laughs> no. we keep messing up each other like, oh wait but then there's this and this is but for real <clears throat> red straight thank you for being on the podcast and talking to us at hamburg oh by the way are you going to hamburg next weekend yeah we'll be there Cool, we're gonna be there. I'm probably gonna be sitting in Matt's chair again <laughs> last time because it's much more comfortable. Cool. Um, but yeah, we'll see you there. And then yeah. else, we will be not vending, but going to uh, Hamburg. So if you're in the area. Or if you want some chip, I'll be bringing some chip around. Oh, you're just gonna walk around and chip around the show? <laughs> I mean, bad. Okay, are you saying you can meet someone at the show? Yes, yes, we can meet someone at the show. Gotcha. Lot, just open up the yeah, I'll wear a trench coat and I'll tape the bricks to the <laughs> to the coat. <laughs> Not creepy at all. Okay. Well, thank you guys for being on. Anyone who is in the chat or who's listening, thank you for continued support. And we will see you next Monday. Sure. Let's go with that. Later, guys. Bye. I never know if